Uh, this is a, a kind of an unusual Sunday in that we have our uh, word sung celebration at the 11 o'clock service, which means we can do something a little different at this service. I, I just love kind of strange Sundays like this. Uh, so what I'd, like, what I'd like to do, this is going to work a little more easily at the moment for those of you who are here. If you're watching online, don't worry, you'll get to catch up. But those of you who are here, take just a second and look around the sanctuary at all of this art. We have so much incredible art in our sanctuary. And this stained glass that we have is, is truly magnificent. Um, each one of these windows, each of the figures, uh, was, was very delicately and meticulously chosen and, and created and portrayed in a way to, to teach us something. Uh, to be a part of our worship experience. And we don't know all the stories right offhand necessarily. If you want to learn them, there are some books above the coffee maker in the Robinson Room that you can grab that tell us what the stained glass means. But today, I'd like for us to look at one of the windows in particular, and it's one that you almost never see, because when you come into the sanctuary, uh, the very fact that the door is open means the window is hidden. It's the window that's right over here to my left. Uh, We can see a picture of it on the screen. And if you're at home, hopefully you can see it as well. And if you look closely at this window, uh, it shows us a man holding a book in one hand and a set of keys in the other. He's holding a book and he's holding some keys. And he is, again, right over here uh, to my left, to your right. And so as we uh, look at this character today, uh, he is trying his best to teach us something about what it means to be the church. And I think we can understand that most clearly if we spend a little time with a specific scripture passage. So today we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 19, as we learn what this figure with the keys is trying to teach us. Listen to the word of God. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, as we reflect now on the blessing of your word, we ask that your spirit would illumine our minds, our hearts, that we would come to know who you are and who you were calling us to be as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus gave Peter the keys. So uh, this character in our stained glass window, this this is Peter. And as we look at this image of Peter, he's holding in one hand a set of keys, and in the other hand, he's got a book. Now, typically, when you see characters in stained glass windows holding books, uh, they're very often the writers of the Gospels. But Peter didn't write one of the Gospels. And so as we look at the book Peter's holding, some have uh, interpreted that book to, to be more about the Gospel generally. 
It's uh, a symbol of uh, maybe even Peter's uh, first sermon of the Christian church that he preached in Acts, that this is the message Peter was given to proclaim. So he's got a book in one hand, but in the other hand, he has this set of keys. And as we uh, sit uh, underneath Peter's shadow, who's right in front of us as we worship, I think as Peter holds the keys, Peter is, is challenging us to be the church. It begins with a gate. As Jesus uh, is speaking to Peter, Peter gives that wonderful uh, acclamation of faith. And he he says, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And and Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Gates are are pretty fascinating. When you think about what gates do, uh, gates really only serve a very narrow set of functions. A, A gate can, it can keep things in or it can keep things out. A gate, it, a gate keeps things. It keeps things the, the way that they are. A gate, uh, a gate can defend and protect. A gate is meant to, to hold things fast. And so if the gates can't prevail against the church, it means the church is called to do the opposite. The church is called not to keep things the way they are, but to to change things through the gospel. The church is is meant not not to imprison, but to set free. The church is meant not to defend, but attack. And that's a a strange notion for the church. It might even make us a little uncomfortable, this notion of the church on the offensive. But, but it, it does work. I mean, as a church, we, we are called to, to go out and attack the powers of sin. We are called to, to go on the offensive against all of the powers of, of, of rage and of greed and of laziness and, and pride and desire and, and jealousy and, and of selfishness. We are called as a church to work against the powers of sin. We are called to break down the gates of sin that hold people back. We are called to to storm the gates of the powers of evil. We are called to storm the gates of hell itself. That's what we see in this passage. And the image starts starts to get a little uncomfortable and even a little bit violent. And we find this image, it's almost as if the church is called to a, to a prison break or jail break. It's as if the, the church is called to a, to a battle march. And we find that as Jesus talks about the church, he tells Peter that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We begin with gates. But then we get keys. And the image changes suddenly and and rapidly and dramatically as suddenly uh, everything in this image, all that violence, all that that warfare, it it melts away. Because gates, as we said, gates have a very specific set of, of functions. And gates also, as it turns out, have one glaring weakness. There is one thing that gates cannot withstand. There's one thing that functions like kryptonite to a gate. It's keys. Gates cannot withstand someone with keys. Gates can't stop someone with keys. In fact, gates can't really even slow you down when you've got the keys. And so Jesus says to Peter, the gates of Hades cannot withstand the church because I am handing you the keys. And now all of a sudden that, that battle march, it changes from a battle march to more like a, more like a parade. And it, it's not quite so violent as it is celebratory. And we find that the church's role is not necessarily to attack, but the church's role is to set free. 
And as a church, when we find the people around us shackled by the power of sin, our role is to set them free. Actually, that's, nah, there's a little bit of a problem with that phrase because to set them free implies there's a difference between us and them. And there's really no difference, right? This freedom, these keys that Jesus gives to the church, they work not just for those outside the church, but for us within as well. In fact, as a church, we are, we are called to set all of God's people free, even if they're sitting next to us in the pews. And we know that we do have the keys. When we look at, at the powers of sin in the world around us, we find uh, the people around us who are, who are shackled by, by guilt or by sin. We, we know what it feels like to be imprisoned by guilt or by sin. And we as a church have the keys. We preach a gospel of forgiveness and repentance. Anyone imprisoned by guilt or sin can be set free by the keys that we hold as a church. We've got the keys. We, we have the keys to set people free from, from scarcity. There are so many around us who wrestle with scarcity in one way or another. Access to, to food or water or shelter or clothing or education. But scarcity is a myth. There is enough food. There is enough clothing. There is enough shelter to go around. It's just not divided faithfully. And we have the keys as a church to challenge that myth. We have the keys to set people free from scarcity. That's why when we come together, we share what we have. We bring our tithes. We bring our offerings. We, we support ministry partners. We buy things from a knitting sale to make sure kids have access to the Y. We give food to our, uh, our, our partners who are in need down the street at the ladle and the center for hope. We, we fill stockings for children. We know that there is enough. And those who are imprisoned by scarcity as a church, we are called to set them free. We have the keys. Or uh, those that are imprisoned by questions about their own value or their own worth. Uh, we've seen this uh, particularly acutely uh, over the last few years. People who aren't really sure uh, that they are loved or that they are important. Whether this is self-imposed or it's brought on them by others. We have seen so many people who are shackled by questions of self-doubt and value and worth. But we have the keys. As a church, we believe that every single person created by God is also loved by God. God loves us no matter what. And every person around us is so worthy and so valuable that God himself died for them. Anyone who's questioning whether they have worth or value, anyone who is shackled by questions of their own importance, we have the keys to set them free, to proclaim that they are worthy, they are valued, they are loved by God. We've got the keys. Or those who are consumed with anxiety or doubt about what the future holds. We know what the future holds. Uh, we believe that, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. The ending has already been written. There is no need to fear for the future. Those who are consumed by doubt and fear about what will come, we've got the keys to set them free. Or even those that wrestle with, with death. The fear of death or the loss of loved ones. We know, especially at the holidays, how hard that can be. We have the keys to set people free from sorrow. As a church, we know 
that death has lost its victory and death has lost its sting. We know that death has already been defeated, that Christ has conquered death for us. We have the keys to set people free even from death. As a church, gates are completely useless when you've got keys and the church holds the keys to set one another free. We've got work to do. As a church, we've got work to do to set people free from scarcity, to set people free from sin, to set people free from guilt, to set people free from feelings of worthlessness, to set people free from fear, to set people free from death itself. We've got the keys and we've got work to do. We begin with a gate and then there are keys. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus continues and he He deepens this call to the church as he says to Peter, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and what you set loose on earth will be set loose in heaven. And suddenly we discover not only uh, do we have gates that cannot withstand the church, not only do we have work to do to set people free around us, but when we do that work, it has eternal significance. The work we do as a church is so much deeper than what happens right here and right now. Uh, This means that as a church, every time we provide for our neighbors, it is an eternal action. It means that every time we join our voices in song, we are joining an eternal song. Every time we join our hearts in prayer, we are joining the eternal prayer of the saints. Every time we gather around this table, we gather around an eternal banquet. Every time we gather in worship, we are gathering in the eternal worship of all of creation. Because whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. What we set free is set free in heaven. That means that we have a calling as a church to change the world around us, not just for now, but forever. That means the good news of the gospel is not just that God will save you, but that God is saving you now. It means not just that God will redeem the world, but that God is redeeming the world right now through this church. It means not just that God will feed the hungry, but God is feeding the hungry now through the work of God's church. It means not just that God will one day work towards a time when all of creation can praise, but all of creation can praise beginning right now. It means not only will the kingdom of God come, but the kingdom of God is coming right now. And every action we take is a part of this eternal work of God through the church. Whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven, and what we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. We have been given the keys, so we've got work to do. Work to do right now that echoes through eternity. We begin with a gate Then we get keys, and then we turn to eternity. All of this is what we find in Matthew 16 as Jesus speaks to Peter about the future of the church. This this proclamation that we can set people free, that we have work to do, all of this is bound in that stained glass window. Every time we gather for worship, Peter stands in front of us, holding the keys. So as we gather in worship from time to time, see if you, can, if you can catch a glimpse of Peter. Especially if the sermon begins to drag a little bit, look at Peter, let him preach to you. 
Every once in a while, catch a glimpse of Peter and remember that as a church, we have work to do, that God has given us keys to set the people around us free, and our work as a church has eternal significance. We have work to do. Let's get to work. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you have entrusted to your church the keys of your kingdom. We ask that you would teach us how to use them, how to be a blessing to those around us, how to set free. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.